But the two truths are that there is always hope because God is always faithful. And sometimes you might just have to put that on your mirror when you're getting ready for church or work in the morning. You might need to put it on your cell phone, wallpaper, so you just remember that there is always hope because God is always faithful. My husband and I have been in some situations that have seemed hopeless. We have been through a lot of difficulties and trials in these last few years because God's called us on a faith journey. We haven't always known where the money was coming from for our rent and for our food and for diapers. But God has always provided miraculously through mysterious checks in the mail, cash handed out to us at the right time, um, invitations to minister at the right time, and God has been so good. Everywhere we go, we meet these incredible, faithful children of God, and we are at home wherever we are. And that's the other thing that God has showed us. We lived in a fifth wheel for two years. We just now moved into a house that we're renting. And before that, we didn't have a place to live for a year. We just were living in a friend's basement. And God told me one day, I am your home. I am your home. He didn't say, oh, yeah, honey, I'm going to get you a palace. I'm going to get you this fancy house to live in just next week. Just hang on. He said, I am your home. And if we can take those truths with us today, this is not our home, but we are always home in him. And he is always in us. So in him, we live and move and have our being. Amen. He is our home, and we can hold on to that rock-solid hope until we get to our true home in the sky to be with him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Promise 
darkness keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Sing it out right now over your situation. Waymaker, miracle worker, declare it, prophesy over your situation right now. My God, that is who you are. Sing Waymaker, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are.
Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's just take a second. This is a Pentecostal church. This is a Pentecostal atmosphere. Anything can happen right now. Whatever you need to happen, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think right now. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Promise keep. Come on, let your soul cry out right now. Let the Holy Ghost minister to you right now in this place in the name of Jesus. That is who you are. Hallelujah. That is who you are. That is who you are. Come on, sometimes you need to look at the situations in your life and tell your situation who he is. Someone tell your situation who he is this morning. That is who you are. Because he is able. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Jesus is the waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Don't be scared to let Jesus engage your emotions right now. Let him have access to who you are in this place. It's okay to lift your voice. It's okay to lift your hands right now. Let the Holy Ghost begin to work and move. Hallelujah. Promise keep light in the darkness. My God. That is who you are. Waymaker, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Come on, one more time. Even when I don't see it, even when I don't see it, you are. Come on, speak it into your situation right now. I don't feel it. Yes, you never stop. Never stop working. No, you, you never, never stop. stop. You never stop working. Oh, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop stop you never stop work that's why we call you way make miracle work promise keep thank you light in the darkness my god that is who you are oh oh, oh. way make miracle work promise keep light in the darkness my god that is who okay to respond right now let's let God move right now if you're waiting for me to say something or do something don't wait just lift your voice where you're at let the Holy Ghost begin to touch you right now come on that's alright it's alright to respond right now if this is foreign to you that's okay because when the power of God comes down from heaven to earth 
and begins to touch the hearts of people, you are people begin to cry. People begin to lift their hands work. and surrender. That's all right way this morning. Maker, miracle worker, way 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 maker.
right now we worship and praise you today we thank you for what you've already done what you're going to do yet this morning oh God we glorify you amen if you're praying right now continue to pray that's fine if you have a Bible uh, pick that Bible up turn with me to Genesis the first chapter this morning we serve such a good God Always faithful, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when he can't be found. There are moments in life like that, but he's always there. Amen. This morning, I just I have a feeling that God's not finished yet. And uh, if you haven't gotten what you need this morning from God, your moment is still ahead of you. But it's going to depend on your ability to respond to God. It's not that God won't come and meet you right where you're at. But when you study the Gospels, 90% of the miracles that Jesus did involve people coming to Him. And I don't know, maybe that's why at the end of our services we open up the front and we allow people just to take a few steps of faith forward because there's nothing like meeting God where He is. And so you'll have that opportunity here when we finish today. And I'm believing God for incredible things this morning. But let's look at the second verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Again, I want to give honor to Brother Warren and Sister Nina Tryon, Brother Lewis and Sister Marie Brown, the ministry team here, and uh, everyone that's uh, made our, our welcome here uh, so hospitable. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved. Everyone say moved. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. For just the next few minutes this morning, I want to speak to you on this title, Put Up Your Sails, the wind is blowing. Put up your sails. The wind is blowing. Let's just entreat heaven one more time. Let's invite the presence of God to have its way in our hearts and in our lives for the remainder of this time this morning. Jesus, in your name, we're inviting you to come down in a powerful way as you already have. And God, we are giving you permission to encounter our hearts, God, in the, in the deepest of levels this morning. We open ourselves up to you today. God, we give you complete and total access to our hearts right now. God, we ask that you would do in us, oh God, what only you can do, God, that your presence would be felt, that your Lord direction would be sure, that you would meet us here with miracles and healings, oh God, this morning, that you would fill us with your presence today. We're asking this today in the name of Jesus, and everyone said amen. 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 Clap your hands to the Lord as you're seated this morning. Amen. A few years ago, uh, 
eight and a half to be exact, my father and I founded a men's ministry called Man Up Adventures. And we take men out into the wilderness for four days because you can't read throughout Scripture without missing the fact that nearly every great man in the story of Scripture was led by God into a physical wilderness setting of some kind. And while we're in the wilderness, we answer this question, what does it mean to be a man? Because culture has no idea. And so I live in Montana, and I, and, uh, I do a lot of hiking and backpacking and mountain climbing. And I remember thinking back to the first time I ever began to attempt a multi-day summit of a mountain. I remember checking all of the things that I had in my backpack, making the list and checking it twice to make sure that I was prepared. I remember pouring over maps for hours to make sure that I had my route right up the mountain. And I remember leaving my car and hiking all the way out uh, eight or nine miles to where I was going to set up my base camp so that I would wake up early the next morning and be able to summit the mountain and get back down before the thunderstorms moved in. I remember getting to that base camp and setting up my tent and going to sleep and waking up the next morning and everything was going great. And at about 5.30 that morning, I began to climb past the last of the trees and I passed what's called the tree line and I got up into the rocks and I realized that morning just how powerful the wind was when there was nothing to block it. It became a powerful force. And, and, and I remember it just blowing and blowing and blowing. And I remember it blowing sand into my ears and into my eyes. And I remember realizing for the first time in my life just how powerful the, of a force the wind was. It was three summers ago that uh, the Rocky Mountain District youth president and I climbed Cloud Peak. And this is a picture of us at the summit of Cloud Peak. Cloud Peak is 13,167 feet above sea level. And the last five miles of the climb are all above the tree line. And I remember us hiking out and again having a similar experience. And we left that morning at 5 a.m. from the base camp at the foot of the mountain and we reached the summit. And this is a picture of me. I'm about 100 feet from the summit right now. The summit is behind us. We'd already reached that summit. And, uh, and behind me, right, where, right behind the white cap that I'm wearing, you can see the, the base of a cliff that's about, I don't know, a thousand yards out from us. And I remember us getting up to the summit. And the wind had been blowing all day. And I remember us walking. And right where I'm sitting, on the other side, it's 1,200 feet straight down. And I remember us sitting there and uh, being cautious near the edge because the wind was blowing. And he took, we took a couple pictures and we turned around to head back to the summit. And we could hear the wind coming, Pastor Tryon. We could hear it. And it was something unlike anything we'd experienced yet that day in, in force and ferocity. And as we, as we bent ourselves against this powerful wind that blew by us as we headed back to the summit, we began to hear some rattling and some loud noises behind. And we looked behind us to this cliff face. And we saw how the wind had dislodged a massive boulder. And it was just exploding down the face of the cliff and eventually splashing into this green pool down here. And again, I was reminded how powerful the force of the wind is. How powerful something that we cannot see can actually be in our lives. And so it's in and through trips like these that I've come to realize that when I get above the tree line, when I get above all the obstacles that the wind never stops moving, it's always active because there's nothing to contend with it, nothing to stop it. And so whether it's just a little breeze or it's a gale force wind on the top of Cloud Peak, the air is always active and it's charged and it's alive. And so I've come to have a brand new respect for the wind. And I've come to realize how something that I cannot see or really understand even can have such a powerful impact on my life. Solomon echoes what nature teaches us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 
and verse 6, I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says this, blowing toward the south and then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along. And on its circular courses, the wind returns. It's often said that nature reflects the beauty and the majesty and the character of God. And I don't know, maybe that's why we call it nature. Because <laughs> it reflects the nature of God. But what I've learned in through life, and what I've learned in reading the second verse in the Bible, is that back at the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, the earth was nothing, but the Bible says that the Spirit of God began to move upon the face of the deep. There at the origins of this beautiful landscape that we live on today, the Spirit of God is moving. And as we have felt already this morning, that Spirit has not stopped moving at, at all. It's continuing to move, and it's moving here this morning. Fast forward with me to the New Testament. John chapter 3 records Jesus speaking with a man who was a well-known religious leader in his day. And in his conversation with the man Nicodemus, Jesus shares some valuable insight about the Spirit of God. He says this in the first half of the 8th verse of the 3rd chapter of John. He says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. Jesus is saying that the Spirit is moving. It's moving. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going next, but be assured of one thing, that it's moving. And it's moving over you and around you. And it's moving even here today. And so whether it's an unceasing prevailing wind on top of Cloud Peak. Or it's the breath of the words of an almighty God creating the world. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that the wind of his spirit is not subject to any earthly power. It is beyond the control of any human being. That it doesn't bow to anything. That it is more powerful and more great than anything that we can do to try to stop it or block it. It's greater than any circumstance in your life. Any situation that you may face or any attack attempt of the enemy of your soul to block it. Amen. Friend, what I want you to know this morning is that the Spirit of God started moving back at the beginning. And it is still moving today. There is not a devil in hell that can stop it from moving. There is not an evil report. There is not a discouraging message that can keep it from stopping. There's not a sickness in your body that can keep it from stopping. There is nothing that can keep God from moving over and around us. But I believe that there's nothing that Satan would want more today than to convince someone here that he can somehow stymie or block that blowing wind of the presence of God in your life. He would love to convince someone this morning that he can somehow stifle the wind of the presence of God from blowing in and around your life. He would love to convince someone this morning that he can somehow cut us off from the life-giving flow of the presence of God. But I am reminded this morning what my Bible tells me in Isaiah chapter 54. It says that no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. Paul writes in the New Testament, and he says this in the book of Romans chapter 8 that if God be for us who can be against us he continues deeper into the chapter and he says nothing can separate us from the love of God he writes in the 38th and the 39th verse of Romans chapter 8 he says for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height or depth or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you believe that this morning, clap your hands today. Just getting a little hum up here. I don't want to squeal. Thank you. What I have to tell you this morning is very, very simple. 
and I'm going to repeat it over and over and over again because someone here needs to hear it. That the wind of God has been blowing over you even this morning. It started blowing at the beginning and it's still blowing today. But it's up to you to harness the power of that wind. How many have seen those massive windmills? You know, they say that at the end of those windmills, the tips of those blades are going something like, I think it's, don't quote me on this, right in the ballpark of 210 miles an hour. They don't look like it. But the wind is so powerful that it can literally generate energy in your life if you can find a way to harness it. And I wonder sometimes what would happen if to some of our problems if we would just learn to harness the energy of the wind because it never stops moving and it never stops blowing. And I wonder what would happen if we just put up a sail sometimes when the Spirit of God was moving and we just let it fill that sail and propel us from where we are at right now into the places that God would have us to be, into the things that He would love to do for us follow me on a side journey for just a little bit we're going to come back to this but I ran across the scripture recently that piqued my interest in the, the book of 2nd Peter 2nd Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 it says this for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This verse in 2 Peter is letting us in on the recipe of how the Holy Scriptures came to be. How the supernatural came down and was born into the natural where we live here today. And it's intriguing to me because of the list of ingredients that are in that recipe. And I want to share this with you. We have two ingredients in the recipe of how the Holy Scriptures came to us today. The first ingredient is mankind, as in humanity. The Bible says, holy men of God spake as they were moved. And I know that immediately we see the word holy, and for some of us we might say, well, that's not me, that doesn't apply to me, I'm still working on that. But the point I'm trying to get across this morning is that these were human beings just like you and I. That had taken a step deeper into a deeper relationship with God and that process of holiness had taken place in their life. But at the beginning, they were people just like us. The second ingredient in the recipe for how the Holy, the Holy Scriptures came to us was the blowing wind of the Holy Ghost. The very essence or the Spirit of God. The Bible says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we have mankind and we have the Holy Spirit, the blowing wind of the Holy Spirit. Those are our two ingredients. Now, how many people do we have here that fancy themselves to be a chef or a baker? Come on, don't be shy. It's okay. There won't be a taste test afterwards. You can raise your hand. Okay, we have a few here. All right. So I saw Marie. Marie raised her hand. Marie and I went to Bible college together. She thinks that's funny. <laughs> so, if you were going to bake a cake for us, which would be wonderful, but no pressure, um, would, would you say the list of ingredients are important? Yes. But let's say we were going to have a good old-fashioned potluck after service, right? And we all made things to bring. Marie, would you just look at the list of what it took to bake that cake? Would you just look at all that, that list of ingredients? Would you just dump that into a bowl and say, voila, cake is served? Of course you wouldn't because that would be disgusting. It wouldn't be cake. Even though you had all the ingredients, it still wouldn't be cake. And that is because there is a process that has to be applied to the correct ingredients in order to receive the achieve, or achieve the desired result. If you want your cake to look, at, look like the cake in the picture on Pinterest, you have to have all the ingredients right, and you also have to apply the proper process to those ingredients. Is this all right? Okay, you following with me? 
The recipe for biblical salvation is the same way. Most people understand that you need repentance and you need baptism and that you need a spirit-filling experience. But where many people get confused is the process that has to be applied in this whole list of ingredients. For instance, everyone baptized in the book of Acts was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord, in the name of our Savior, so on and so forth. Everyone in the book of Acts, which is the book that documents the formation of the churches that Paul was writing to later in the New Testament, everyone that received the gift of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, the book of Acts documents them as having spent, having spoken in tongues at the moment that this spirit infilling took place. The process matters just as much as the ingredients and so getting back to first Peter chapter 1 excuse me second Peter chapter 1 in verse 21 there are certain uh, processes that have to be applied to the list of ingredients in order to get the desired results let me just let me just pause before we get back to second Peter for a second because I just I want to say this and I want to say it the right way We need to be in church on Sunday, right? We know this. We're here. You're here. I'm preaching in the choir this morning. But why is it sometimes that we can come to church broken, lost, hurting, disappointed, frustrated, and we can leave angry because none of the things that the preacher said could happen happened in our life? When all the ingredients were there that morning. Because there's a certain process of surrender that has to take place in our lives before all the ingredients can be mashed together in a way that the, that the desired result takes place. Surrender is so important to God because God is a gentleman and he doesn't just kick down we have to invite him in the Bible says he stands at the door and knocks and so there has to be a surrender process because he has given you and I a free will there's a story in 2nd Kings chapter 5 of a man named Naaman Naaman was a great Syrian general and God had actually if when you read the scripture it says that God had actually used Naaman to bring about the dominance of Syria at, in that era of, of the world and so he comes down with a disease called leprosy. And he has a servant girl who's from Israel who turns him on to the idea that there is a prophet in Israel who serves the one true God and that if he would go to see this prophet, a miracle might transpire in his life. And so Naaman the Assyrian general gets on his high horse and he drives over to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha says this, God will heal you, but you need to dip your royal hind end in the filthy Jordan River seven times. And verse 11 of 2 Kings chapter 5 documents the first of two responses from the Assyrian general Naaman. Naaman was wroth and he went away from his miracle and said, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He wanted a miracle with no strings attached. He wanted the man of God to come down to where he was at, lay his hands on him, and heal him with no change, no surrender, nothing, no sort of commitment to God. He wanted a drive-through miracle. Listen to what it says in verse 12. Now he's complaining about the dirty Jordan River. This is a man who's dying. And can I remind us that all of us are dying because of sin right now? And that is why I need Jesus every single day of my life. I need the blood that was shed on the cross to be applied to me. And that's why I can't. It doesn't happen on my terms. It happens on his. Verse 12, he says, and he's going to name two rivers here that I don't expect you to know. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus? which is in the area of Syria. 
better than all the waters in Israel? May I not wash in those and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. I've been there. I've come into powerful services and I've had needs in my heart, but I was tired or I didn't feel like it or I had something, I had something in my spirit. I had a little pride or a little something that kept me from surrendering to God. And I know what it feels like to walk away from a possible miracle without having what I need. But friend, can I tell you today that we need Jesus more than anything else. And if you have a need in your life today, all he's looking for is just a little crack in the door. If you can just give him a little crack of surrender, if you can start to swing that door wide a little bit that wind of his presence will start to flow in and around you and if you can find a way to put up a sail he will take you from where you are at today to where you want to be so 2 Peter 1 and 21 it says this for the prophecy for the, the scriptures came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost so we have our two ingredients we have mankind and the moving blowing wind of the Holy Spirit and then we have our process or our action word and it's the word moved you can put the slide the, uh, the Pharaoh slide up for me that word move that we just read in first Peter excuse me second Peter 1 and 21 the English word move, there's a Greek word behind that that's been translated into the English word move. And it's this word right here, pharaoh. And what pharaoh literally means when it says that they were moved by the Holy Spirit, it literally means that they were carried. Or to move something by bearing it, literally picking it up and moving it, to be conveyed or born, B-O-R-N-E, with the suggestion of force and speed. As in a person's being carried over waters and over the sea by a gust of wind in a sail. That's what that means. And so what that suggests to me and what that conveys to me this morning is that when the supernatural power of the Spirit of God began to blow around mortal human beings like you and I, that they somehow found a way to put up a sail. And when the next gust of the Spirit of God came blowing through, it caught their sail and it took them to a place where the supernatural became natural. What I'm trying to tell someone this morning is that the wind of God is moving over you right now. And if you have a need in your life, you just have to find a way to put up a sail and let that wind propel you from the, from the natural into the supernatural here today. But there's a big difference. There's a big difference between just feeling the wind blow and letting that wind fill your sails and take you to where God wants to take you. There's a big difference between just feeling God and opening up to God. We felt God here a minute ago. But I just have a suspicion that there are more people that could have responded just a minute ago. And for one reason or another, there was something keeping us from putting that sail up and letting God move us from where we are. Being propelled by the wind is powerful. I was a youth pastor once. And we took about 40 kids from Minneapolis, St. Paul, where I was living at that time, up into the north woods of Minnesota for a youth camping trip that weekend. My brother on the front row over here is already laughing because this is just the recipe for disaster. So Friday night went great. We had our campfire session there, and God really moved, just like he did here a minute ago. And, and we were off to a great start, Pastor. But Saturday morning, we woke up, and we came out of our tents, and we were tenting in like a, a pine forest. How many have ever heard the wind move through pine trees before? We woke up, and we unzipped the tents, and we walked out, and it was just... It was like 30 to 40 mile an hour winds. And I'm like, this isn't going to work for a campfire. We're going to burn the place down. We can't have a campfire today. I was like, we need to do something different. And so we had another youth pastor who was on the trip who was a contractor. Now, I've learned something about contractors. I've learned that in the drop, at the drop of a hat, a contractor can produce a massive tarp out of the back of his truck at just any given moment. 
And so I looked at Luke and I said, Luke, do you still have that huge tarp in the back of your truck? He said, yes, I, I do. And I said, go get it. I have this great idea. I thought it was a great idea. And so I got all of these kids. There was a little clearing in the woods about as long as this building is right here, about this wide. And, and I got all 40 of these kids and uh, the, the couple, uh, a couple of very reluctant chaperones to follow me out into this clearing. And I said, listen, kids, this is what we're going to do. I said, we can hear the wind coming through the trees. And next time one of these 40, 50 mile an hour gusts of wind comes through these trees, I want you to hold on to this tarp and let's stretch it across this clearing and hold on and see what happens. <laughs> and so we can hear the wind coming. And I'm like, all right, everybody, we pull this. It's like a 40-foot-long tarp by like 28 or something. We pull it across the clearing, and the wind's coming. And the next thing I know, I am flying through the air 10 feet off the ground. I'm holding onto this tarp, and I'm looking at like 12-year-old Billy, and his eyes are like this big, and he's just white-knuckling the tarp. And we literally got blown like 30 feet through the air all the way across the, the clearing. Listen to me. There is a big difference between just feeling the air and feeling the wind and putting up a sail and letting it move you in a way you haven't been moved in a long time. The presence and the Spirit of God is here this morning. And if you will just find a way to put up a sail, He will take you in your brokenness, in your regret, in your shame, in your hurt, in your depression, wherever you're at. And He will move you into a brand new place this morning. I grew up in a pastor's home, and when I was about 15 or 16, I started to move away from God. I never quit coming to church, I just hid behind the drums, but my heart wasn't close to God, and I was having all kinds of conflicting thoughts in my mind. You know what I'm talking about. And I was at church, but I was kind of backslidden. And my parents were patient with me, and they loved me, and they tried to encourage me. But at some point, we have to make up our mind for ourselves, and we have to own this for ourselves. Because I can't ride mommy and daddy's coattails to heaven. I was 15, and I got a diagnosis. We lived in Minnesota at the time from the Mayo Clinic, one of the premier health facilities in the entire world. I had been having some physical issues, and they took me in, and they diagnosed me with a thyroid condition. So when I was 15, they put me on medication, and I started taking medication. And every two or three months, I'd go in, and they'd draw my blood, and they'd come back with the same story. Your condition is worsening. We're going to have to up the dosage of your medication. And this happened for about 18 months, a year and a half, and I was 16. And we went in to the Mayo Clinic for my typical visit. They came in, they drew my blood and they came back 45 minutes later and they said Mr. Thompson your condition has worsened and to the point where we're going to have to look at more serious forms of treatment like surgery maybe removing your thyroid you're going to have to be on high doses of medication your whole life so on and so forth and I remember kind of as a backslidden 16 year old just sitting in the back seat of the car on the way home and I remember just shaking my head saying, God, I don't accept this for my life. I, don't, I think you have something better for me. And I remember that adversity opening my heart back up to God. And I remember talking to God. That was Thursday. The next night, my parents drug me to a youth rally that was an hour and a half away. And I sat on the back row right back here. And I'm not picking on anybody today if you're in the back row. It's some of my favorite places to sit in church because I'm always up front. So I'm sitting right back here because I didn't want to really have anything to do with what was going on in the service. And about halfway through the service, God spoke to me as clear as he ever has. And he said, if you'll be the first one to the altar, when the altar call is given, I will heal your body. I said, what? Now there was a problem. I was a 16-year-old and I was a man, which meant I had too much pride at that point for my own good. And I knew, because I was sitting in the back of the church, that if I was going to be the first one to the altar, I was going to have to run, or I wouldn't make it. And thankfully, God had grace 
on my stubborn soul because I had grown up in this just enough to know when a preacher is getting ready to wind down, Pastor. So I timed a fast walk. And I came to the front and I lifted my hands as the altar call was given. And I was the first one. And the preacher laid his hand on my head and I felt nothing. But that night on the way home, I told my parents, I said, God spoke to me like he's never spoke to me before. And I said, I responded and I obeyed. And I want you to make an appointment at the Mayo Clinic for Monday. And I want you to go back and test my, and I want to get my blood tested again. And they were in the front seat shaking their heads, looking at each other like, what got into him? But they made the appointment. And we drove an hour to Rochester, Minnesota. And I did what we all do when we go to the doctor. I just sat there and waited in that, in that waiting room. And they finally called my name. They drew my blood. And then we waited some more. An hour went by. Another hour went by. And a line of people in white coats came into the room. And I'll paraphrase what they said to me. They said, we know this is a state-of-the-art medical facility, but somehow it seems like we've mixed your blood up with someone else's. So we're going to have to draw another pint of blood. And if you think I'm skinny now, I was just as tall as I am now, but I was 45 pounds lighter. And I looked at him, I said, I don't have any more blood in my arm. <laughs> and so they took another pint, and I was just sitting there. And an hour later, they came in and they said, Mr. Thompson, we don't know what has happened in the last four days, but we just tested your blood and you can go home and you can quit your medication because you are a well man. There is no trace of a thyroid condition in your body and I have medical records to prove it. Listen to me. All I did was respond when God spoke. What would happen if we just found a way to put up a sail when the presence of God was moving and we responded like he was able to do what he said he could do in our lives? What would happen in our lives this morning if we just put up a sail and let the wind blow us to where God wants to take us this morning? I'll be done in a few minutes. You see, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 that each of us have been given a measure of faith. And when we engage the almighty, all-powerful, ever-moving and unrelenting wind and presence of God with that faith, what we are effectively doing is putting up a sail and catching His attention. Because it's our faith that motivates God to move on our behalf. Faith is a vehicle that takes us from the natural into the supernatural. And so you may be looking at me today and you may be saying, what does putting up a sail look like? Let me help you this morning. If you're physically able, if you're comfortable with it, everyone just, just go like this for a second. Can I tell you something? This isn't some Christian thing. But this is the universal sign of surrender. Putting up a sail looks a lot like just lifting your hands and your voice to God and surrender. Putting up a sail looks like closing your eyes and lifting your head to heaven with your hands raised and letting the tears flow if that's what happens and just lifting your voice up to God like no one's around, like no one's looking, like, like just like you don't care anymore. Praying like you believe God is able to do what He's told you He's going to do. Putting up a sail looks like surrendering those off-limits places in our hearts. Listen, we've all been hurt. We've all been broken in one way or another. And how we do deal with those things is to bury them and lock them behind closed doors so we don't have to think about it and deal with the pain anymore. Those are the places in your heart God wants access to. So putting up a sail looks like giving Him the keys to those hard to reach places in your heart. Putting up a sail looks like surrendering your pride. I don't have time to tell the story of David returning the ark back to Israel and his wife Michael and her mentality as she watched her husband the king dance through the streets. I don't have time to tell you the story, but there's been times in my life when the presence of God has been moving and God has prompted me to dance before him and I've had too much pride in my heart to just let go and let my body worship its creator the way he would want me to. Putting up a sail looks a lot like trusting the process that's laid out in the Word of God. 
And so in a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to respond this morning. And our musicians will come and they'll begin to play. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to just take a step of faith towards the front of this church. And I can't heal your body. And I can't work miracles. But Jesus can. And if you'll just put up a sail, He will meet you here in a miraculous way. And He'll begin to work in your life as you begin to surrender those pieces of your life to Him. Our faith is the sail that catches the wind of God and propels us beyond our situations and our circumstances of our past. And it propels us beyond our present into the future that God has for us. In closing, there's another place in the Bible that illustrates the principle of catching God's wind in your sails in a greater way than probably any other place in Scripture. Acts chapter 1 finds the disciples of Jesus standing in the road looking up to heaven because Jesus has just ascended into heaven. And the angel appears to them and he says, Ye men of Galilee, why are you standing here in the road looking up into heaven? The same Jesus that has, that has ascended, he's going to meet with, and I'm paraphrasing, he's going to meet with you in just a few days in Jerusalem. Go and wait for him. The Bible says, that they went to Jerusalem in obedience and they met in an upper room, about 120 of them. And the Bible says they began to lift their sails. The Bible says they began to worship. They began to lift their voices in prayer, awaiting the promises of God. And Acts chapter 2, verse 2 says that from heaven there came a sound of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. That word rushing in English, we pronounce it rushing. But in Greek, go ahead and put the slide up again. It's the same word in, first P, in 2 Peter 1.21 that was translated as moved. And it, it's the word pharaoh. And we've already talked about this. But that word rushing literally talks about a wind that is able to carry or to pick up and move and to take you from one place to another. Do you know why everyone in the upper room received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost? Because they were all there putting up a sail. They were all there waiting in anticipation because the Holy Ghost is a wind that is powerful enough to move you with force and speed from where you're at to where God wants to take you. Stand with me this morning. I don't know what's going on in your life this morning. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know many of you. But I do know that God cares and He sees where you're at today. I do know that He is for you and that He has precious promises for you. That He is still able to do the things that the world calls impossible. And so each of us are boats and each of us have been given a sail. And in just one minute, I want to encourage you to lift your sails up because the wind is always moving. But we have a choice. We can drift through life at the mercy of the waves. But waves only move in one direction. Toward the rocky shoreline. Or we can choose to raise the sail and we can allow the wind of the presence of God to propel us into the safe places of His presence, into the safe places of the plan that He has for our lives this morning. I wonder if right now you could just close your eyes and bow your heads. God is getting ready to move here in this place. I believe that the Lord has something special here for someone today. And so I'm going to pray for just a second, and then I want to encourage you just to respond this morning. Begin to come to the front. Begin to lift your hands and your voice. And, and allow God to do what only He can do. Jesus, in Your name right now. God, I'm coming right, on the, right now on the behalf of everyone that's here. God, there are those here who just need a moment of repentance with You. There are those here who, God, You may be speaking to about baptism. And God, that is something we can do here today. There are those here who need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, I'm asking that You would do those things. But God, even greater than those things, there may be people here who are in need of healing, of physical healing. God, an emotional 
emotional, psychological healing in their hearts. And God, I'm asking for you right now in this, in this place to allow the wind of the presence of God to continue to blow through here right now in the name of Jesus. If you're ready to respond today, I want to invite each of you to come to this altar right now. I see tears on some of the faces here. And I want to encourage you right now to begin to move up and to begin to take a step of faith right up here and to begin to lift a sail up today. Begin to lift your hands and begin to lift your voices because the same God that healed my body can touch the situation in your life. The same God that has, that has done miracles in the past can do miracles here today. That's right. That's good. Put up a sail this morning because the wind is blowing. Put up a sail this morning because there's a God that loves you. Let His presence begin to touch your heart right now as we begin to sing, as we begin to worship right now. Let the Spirit and the power of God touch your life.